Okay, okay, okay. Welcome to episode number 42 of uh, the Growth Podcast. Thank you for sticking around um, to our loyal uh, 22,700 subscribers. You guys, thank you very much for sticking around. Um, we had an emotional conversation last week. Um, but we have wiped our tears and we're here now. Uh, this week we're talking to um, a woman most of you may know, uh, some of you may not know, but um, regardless, we'll still make introductions. Um, yeah, so most of you obviously have heard of Miraki um, at East Park Mall, you've heard of Miraki in Rhodes Park. Um, yeah, or if there are other Miraki's you don't know about, obviously, yeah, that is a name that is tied to those establishments. I am talking to Mrs. Chombabowa, the proprietor of Miraki and our conversation obviously like I said she's a proprietor so we're not talking careers anymore um, we're talking around business and managing businesses running businesses all those intricacies um, around entrepreneurship welcome to the podcast thank you Sui for having me it's good to have you finally yes finally yeah finally <laughs> we made it happen today. yeah and we almost never made it happen today something just happened but yeah away from there I'm going out busy and busy and this because the first conversation they were like no we can't do it it's women's month and obviously yeah. you're busy and then next time no i'm not around I'm not, but now yeah. it's, it's finally happened i'm so yeah. happy to have you in the podcast i'm happy to be here yeah so let's let's start with our icebreaker questions so i'm setting up with these icebreaker questions um i've got these cards that i'll give to you um pick any three cards um and ask the question and answer it should um, i look at them yeah, yeah no don't look at them no you don't okay. look at them. <laughs> any three any three just pick any three okay. pick any three okay give me the rest and they go back in the box. You can pick, read them out and give me the answers. Describe a life lesson that took you more than once to learn. Yeah, okay. A life lesson that took you more than once to learn. Should I get right into it? Yeah, please. Okay. So, one major one I would say is failing to learn quickly. Um, when you make mistakes or when something is not working, I think it's very important and it does you a lot of good to learn the lesson behind it, fix it and grow in that space. Otherwise the lesson will come back and it will keep coming back until you learn it. So what, one good example I would say is um, if you're in the space of business, Learning to know what your customers want, what they need, fixing that quickly, and probably growing in the area of how do you get to know what they want from you so that you can serve them better. So failing to learn that in the space of business can take you out. So if you, for instance, if you have customer issues, you have customer complaints around a certain area, it's not for you to, um, to give a response to a customer that doesn't serve them. It's for you to go home and think, how can I serve them better tomorrow? And work on that, fix it, create systems around it that will make it stick. And see what else you can do beyond that, even further than what your customer wants. And set that in place as well. All right, card yeah. number two. What choice had the greatest impact on your life? A good question. Eh? <laughs> Business related, personal, no, no, it anything? Matter. Yeah, anything. Getting a mentor. Okay. Yeah, I had this fantastic uh, woman for a mentor about four or five years ago, 
and she made such a profound impact on my life. I don't think I would be here today or Meraki would be here today if I didn't have that woman as a mentor. So getting someone to hold your hand, directing you, you can't lose. It's a game changer. Question number three. What key life advice did you learn from children? I would say um, being playful, maintaining a playful attitude towards life. It's not all serious. There's so many things to laugh about, smile about. Even the, the, the hard times, you, it's the attitude, your response to life. It's not always about being serious, but maintaining that playfulness about everything, how you do your work, how you relate with your coworkers, your children, your family. Um, life is meant to be joyful. It shouldn't always be a stress. All right. We're beginning to feel like we know you already. So like we said, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, by the way. Um, yeah, so like we said, you, you, you run a successful business. Um, in my eyes, it's successful. I don't know about the intricacies that go into running it. But from what we on the outside see, we feel like you found your space, you found your place, and you're doing very well. Um, thank so you. Tell us about you. How would you introduce um, Mrs. Chomba to us? So I am a child Actually, of Mrs. God. Boa. Yes. Yes. A child of God first, before I even become Mrs. Boa. Um, child of God, um, mother to two, married. And um, yes, I run a business. I am very passionate about God and how he is able to help me and use me for a time such as this to do what I do, and I love what I do. So the person I am is um, a lover of God and someone who's doing what I love and hoping to help other people to do the same. Yeah, I, I can relate to the God part because um, the majority of people that, not like that refer like, oh, shit. It's all for miracle life. Oh, she's the one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like the, the church, you know, comes first before all these other things come into play. And and and, and tell me about, about about Miraki. How did it start? So Miraki really started from my home kitchen in Ibex Hill. That was around. Well, it wasn't Miraki then. That was just me baking because I love to bake. That that's my first love. I love to bake. So um, I used to bake from there. And in those days, I used to work for Zanako. And what I started to do is, because baking was kind of like my happy space, when I get home or during the weekend, when I have some free time, I'd make something. And then I started taking them to the office bit by bit, you know, to share with my friends, especially on a Friday. Guys, it's Friday. We have cupcakes today. And, you know, that's where it really started. And eventually people started saying, look, why don't you just bring this stuff every day and then we're going to buy And I was thinking, okay, I'll be walking up the stairs in my high heels with a box of cupcakes. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it, it was not making sense to me at the time. 
why I even had to do it. And a lot of people were asking, but why do you do that? Yeah, 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 big boss, you you know, you, you lead a big team, and then you're walking in here with cupcakes. <laughs> so that's where it all began anyway. And because I was working in a, in a big building, the head office building, where there was a lot of people, those were really my first market. And before too much time passed, a lot of people were ordering, their friends were ordering, they told their friends about it. And then um, I couldn't do it by myself anymore. So there I got my first helper on the baking side. So what, what, we used to, what I used to do then is every time I get home in the evening, I would pre-measure everything for her to make for the following day. Then when I get home, I would then start decorating the cakes because she couldn't do it then. And this was around 2008, 2009. So we went on like that for a pretty long time. And what I was doing do during that space is because I was able to, to order stuff online uh, back then, I started buying things that I needed online, baking pans, um, you know, all these fancy things that you couldn't get locally to make cakes exciting. And I was just doing it for the love of it then, but it was growing and I didn't realize that it was actually growing very quickly. So we added on two more ladies to help. We got a driver because I couldn't be there during the day. So what I was doing is sending over the, the, the orders, um, planning for the weekend because the weekend was our busiest time. And as the years passed, as the years moved on, it was like there was a four year space of time where we continued to do this. Um, our market grew very quickly. And I started noticing that I would live for the time that I left the office to go and do this thing that was so special to me. And we grew and I started noticing that I really could make an income, a good income from what I was doing on the side. And it came to a point where the revenue we were making for, from the cakes exceeded my monthly salary by far. And that's when I started thinking, look, I really should give this a shot. I would be doing myself a disservice if I do not, because there's something here that could potentially be, you know, something quite wonderful. So eventually I left work. Uh, by then I had moved to Stanchart, where I'd stayed for about three years or so. And I went into this full time but I didn't just jump, I had prepared. I had prepared for this for like a year because I just wanted to have quite a number of things in place, um, especially on the money side, uh, the equipment side for what we needed to do, what we were doing, um, because I was very aware that I wouldn't have my salary anymore and I wouldn't be as comfortable as I was accustomed to being. So I left the bank in 2014 and that's when we started Meraki as Meraki. We registered it as Meraki in 2014. And at that point, it's, we couldn't carry on operating from my home because our gate was always open. 
there was always cars going in and out, coming to collect cakes and, and snacks. So I said, okay, at this point, I'm not in employment anymore. Let's find a space where we can operate the business commercially. And for some reason, we just couldn't find, a, you know, all I was looking for was a small space, you know, where we could fit everything in, ovens and everything else that we needed. And we couldn't find the right location because location was a key consideration until we found that space on Chaholi Road where our Rhodes Park Cafe is. And it was really big for me. It was like, I don't need this much space. I just need a little, you know, a little bake shop so I can carry on doing what, what I do. And my husband then said, look, we've looked, I'm tired of looking. This space is going for a, a really good price. And then that, at the time, that road, Chaholi Road, was really bad. And I guess maybe that, that's why the rental was a little bit affordable. And he said, this space is going at a good price. Just take it. You know, you do snacks. So maybe put chairs on the lawn and do sandwiches and coffees or something just to uh, supplement. So that's what we did. That space used to be a German restaurant before. So we had to change quite a lot of things to make it be what it was in 2014. Yeah. So we've been in business for nine years this year. And um, yeah, it's been quite a journey. What, what does the name Iraqi mean? So Iraqi is a Greek word. It means to do your work with love or to put a piece of yourself into your work. And that's really what I wanted to do when when I started it. How did you come across that word? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember, but I was looking up words, you know, that would kind of capture what I wanted to do. And, and I don't know how I came across it, but it stuck. All right. Yeah. So you told me that before you decided to leave your career to go and focus on building the business, the one-year process was what you, you needed and that's what you took. Talk to me about what were you doing that one year? Because it's, it's, it's not just about like stacking up money, like saving money for equipment and whatnot. Consultation, were you talking to people? Um, like also you are a God-fearing person. Um, how did you also you know bring that to God? Or you just said, you know what, this is the right thing. Let me just go in it. What was the process like? And then also, okay, let, let, let's talk to that because um, later on I want to talk about how the in the beginning like you mentioned you had these these colleagues at the office who said no like you're too senior in the in the, in the bank for you to be doing this you know did that get to you but first i want us to establish what was the one-year process like when you began to tell yourself it's time for me to leave and focus on building a brand so when i left i wasn't even thinking about a brand i i didn't think that far i didn't even think we'd become a brand at that moment it was just me going out to do what I was enjoying to do. Um, there was a certain joy and passion and creativity I was finding coming out of working in that space as opposed to what I was doing in the bank. And I loved my job in the bank and I did very well. I excelled. I, I moved pretty quickly up the ranks, but it didn't feel the same. It was different. And in that moment when I took that year, I didn't do much consultation. It was more 
instinct. I knew I had to do this. I, I can't explain it, but I knew that I had to step out and go and give this a shot. So the one year was really planning how we were going to be able to make all this work. It involved saving, a lot of saving, because we didn't know what that, I didn't know what that was going to look like, um, being out of employment and going out on a whim and following a dream. So I was not comfortable to just jump and start. I mean, we were operating all along and there was a steady income coming in every month. But I just, you know, it's so scary and everybody tells you, you cannot do what you're trying to do. That is a bad decision. So all that fear, um, I had to deal with it as well. Um, I prayed about it, but at, at that time I wasn't as prayerful as I am now. <laughs> so I will say it was mostly going by instinct, following a calling, if I can call that, call it that, that I needed to try this and give it my all rather than giving it my after hours and my Saturdays only. So yeah, that, that's, what that, that's what that one year was really about. And on to my next question, what did you make of, you know, what people would say that you shouldn't be doing this? Because obviously people in the bank have got this certain level of class. And yeah, we, and, you yeah. Know. Your high heels, your exactly. suits, and then, and then you're carrying a Tupperware of cupcakes. It, it just doesn't, just wasn't making sense. <laughs> but there's a certain um, man, um, a certain man called Peter, who told me, look, if you want to do what you're doing, you have to learn how to sell. You're not going to make it if you don't know how to sell. And selling means you put yourself out there. No matter how you look, you follow what you want to do and don't um, live for what people should expect out of you. I mean, you are you, you're unique, you do you. You know, do your thing. And if you're going to be an entrepreneur and you can't sell because you want to look a certain way, then you might as well stay where you are. So I took that advice and it's really worked. I mean, um, we, especially in the early days, we had to go to all sorts of places looking for markets. Um, it, we were always in jeans and t-shirts. And I think that it was so much fun you know, we'd go to different sorts of markets. We'd go to schools, um, embassies, other corporate places, um, all sorts of places just to look for markets. And that created such a big customer base for us from the beginning. It's something I think we should all learn from. If you have to sell on the corner of a street, do it. If you have to, um, you know, go way outside your comfort zone, do it. It pays off. So you moved to Chaholi Road. Mm -hmm. how, how were the early days of the business? The early days of the business were very interesting. I knew nothing about business. I went in very raw. So in my head, it's just, yeah, we'll continue the way we used to do from the kitchen. We make cakes and we sell them. 
and we put the cash in a cash box. And then I quickly had to learn that it was more complicated than that. In the early days, I had to do almost everything. I was the HR person. I did the accounts. I did the creatives because the girls, they, they mostly knew how to bake, not how to decorate the cakes. So I had to be in the bakery. And then we added on this small menu for food. Remember I told you we had a big space, so we decided let's sell coffees and, and snacks. Then I had to manage a team of chefs and baristas. And then um, there was other issues to look out for, customer, customer care. I didn't know how to hire, you know. We didn't know how to do our purchasing, right? Um, we were just all over the place. But we had to start learning really quickly. Um, and I think this is something that, that sometimes puts off people from going into business. There's just so much to learn, and you have to do it quickly. Because no one teaches you um, to say, okay, this, this is how you're going to manage this, and this is how you're going to manage that, and it's all going to fall in straight lines. It doesn't work like that. There's so many variations coming in from all over the place. And you have to, for me, as much as I had to do so many things, you know, by the end of the day, I was so exhausted because I was doing literally everything. I had to be literally everywhere until I started hiring the right people and putting them in the right places. Now, what that did for me, though, is that I understood what needed to be done in every area. So I count it as a good thing, you know, as exhausting as it was. Every business owner needs to know what's happening in every space of the business. So I describe the early days as chaotic and very exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you mentioned that you had to go in raw, no idea about business. All you had was just trading. Yeah. Um, and that was you coming from this business being a side hustle, then ultimately making it a fully fledged business. There are some people now who have side hustles and want to make them into a full business. Based on the mistakes you made in the beginning, um, like, for example, not knowing or being ready to run a business, what advice would you give to someone who is in the place you were um, 10 years ago? Um, to avoid making the similar mistakes like you, now that you have the experience in hindsight, as yeah. you look back, what would you say to someone? Okay. Number one, I would say is having a clear plan of what you're doing now and where you're going, be it in the next two, three, five years. Have a plan. It's very difficult from the onset to see that very clearly. But it's still important to have that plan. Otherwise, you just be working from day to day to day without understanding where you're going and why you're even doing what you're doing today. So to have that plan then helps you start seeing who are the people that you will need to help you run this plan, who are the right people to get you to where you want to go in the next two, three, five years. So then you are then going to hire the right people, which is really important 
people with the right skills, um, the right capabilities, the right um, passion for what they're going to be doing with you. And it's very important also to cover aspects of managing money right and being compliant with all um, your statutory requirements and things like that. So you need to have that on point, either do it yourself or get someone to do that for you and do it right. If you're in the service space, it's really important that you cover that very well. Customers' um, requirements, especially in the service business, are very high. What they want and what they expect is not what it was long time ago, 10 years ago. It's very different. Our customers travel, they're exposed, they see what is out there, and they gravitate towards uh, receiving a service that is on par with what their expectation is. So that has to be covered very well. You can't just produce a product and say, look, I've given you the product that you wanted, but what goes along with that? Is it convenience? Is it um, aesthetics? What is it that you're giving the customer that they appreciate and will keep coming back to you? Something that gives them a good service on top of the product that they're getting from you. So that is also very important to keep in mind. Um, because sometimes what happens is when you start running a business, you, you have these standards. And then over time, you don't realize that they're falling and you let it go, and customers start disappearing. So we really need to be on point there. So that, and that actually is what maintains your customer base um, for a really long time, because they're coming back for what they value you for. So that has to be got right from the onset. All right. And, and talking about growth, because that's the idea behind every business. No one wants to run a static business. Mm -hmm. You started as cakes. Okay, and, and I asked that you give me some pictures of Miraki for post so they can have a visual image so we can show them on the screen. For me, I want to understand how does growth come about? Because you say with, with cakes, um, you said you had some coffees here and there because the place was big. Now you are running a, I don't know what the word is for, <laughs> <laughs> the actual word is to describe what you're doing. And growth in terms of, like you said, you were only at um, Roads Park, Chaholi Road, nine years ago. Now you're at East Park, which mm -hmm. is the most happening more in Osaka. People struggle even to get space there. Mm. And then there you are. How did the growth come about? It came about from doing um, or performing activities and producing products that customers kept valuing over a long time. That's the only way you grow. I mean, if people don't come to buy things from you, you can't grow. So I think the growth really came from us trying our very best to give the customer what they wanted. But also um, from our mistakes and negative feedback from customers. I would say that's the one thing that really pushed us to grow. So we would sit and look at our negative feedback and see how we could grow and become better. 
you know, it's very discouraging to get negative feedback. But if you use it to grow and to improve and to even exceed, like I said earlier, what your customer is expecting, you wow them, they will come back. And then you will start to grow. And growth then just becomes um, almost like the natural next step because you have covered all these bases and you are giving the customer what they want. Next, they're saying, can you come closer to where I am? Because I have to come all the way from McKinney to you guys, or I have to come all the way from um, wherever to you guys. And I think one other thing that propels growth is to look ahead, see what is happening, what are the trends in this space we're operating in, and how can we bring this to our customers here in Lusaka? Yeah, that's, that's, that's another major aspect that has helped us to grow. Um, yeah, I would say those are the major. I would like us to talk about financial discipline because mm -hmm. I feel like that is one of the biggest, you know, things that pull down businesses. Mm -hmm. What is your approach? to money as a business from the beginning to now. And I know that obviously with the progression of time, you have put in place systems then that, you know, uh, make it easier for that. Do you pay yourself a salary? Do you just wake up and say, you know what? I think I saw a promo in Dubai. Uh, <laughs> let's go. You know, uh, how do you, you know, maintain financial discipline? Um, how do you manage money in the business? Um, from then in the beginning, because I always tell people when the business is small and just alone, you, there's no accountability. Yeah. But now that it's big, people mm. go like, but the sales were, but our boss were Tengapo. You know, so yeah. how, how is it working for you? Okay. So in the early stages, we were like that. I would get money. You know, we make sales. I would get money to buy something I think the business needs or something I think I need in my home. <laughs> you know. Um, but over time, we noticed that we kept on having these issues with our money and we had to set up systems and you can't grow in chaos you know that that area where there's chaos will always bring you backwards no matter how much you're trying to do in the front because i mean even banks they look at you and how you're managing your account how you're managing your your financial documentation and everything else around that they see chaos they run away from you so we quickly learned that this is a space that we needed to fix if we were serious about growing. So I'm on a salary. I get a salary. I, c I don't touch any money coming, coming from the business. So everything that is um, received as revenue goes straight to the bank and the accountant manages, manages that according to what our budgets are, what, what needs to be done, etc. So, and I find that, that when that is under control, and well-managed, everybody else can focus on what they're doing without having to stress about money and um, the, the, the needs of the business that require money. So very, very important to separate yourself as um, the entrepreneur, the, the, the business owner from that revenue of the business. Put yourself on a salary and stick to that salary. Um, getting money out of the cash box no, it, it's, it creates chaos and it's just not good for the business. I think the business should be allowed to make its money 
spend money on itself, reinvest back into the business so that it continues to grow. I, I learned hard lessons from that. And for me, this is the best. I'm on a salary. If I run out of money in a month, I can't, I can't dip into that. I'm not even allowed. <laughs> you have <sponsorships. laughs> um, in, in in the conversation so far, you've you've made like some you know like dotted reference to to your husband. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember, you said no, he helped you find the place, and you know there was one time that we met, and I was asking you because uh, I figured you guys were running the business together as a couple, mm-hmm. but you said that's not actually the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and why I was asking that because I wanted us to see how do couples run businesses because most of them struggle and they t- and then you told me that uh, actually we, we felt we don't we don't run together i do my thing he does his own thing mm-hmm. um did you guys ever try to run the business as a couple yes we did and what happened is that we kept on clashing because our visions were different so from the onset when we set up meraki at Rhodes park I had this vision of, okay, I'm leaving work, I'm going to make cakes, and I'll add on this cozy little cafe, you know, and people can have coffees and teas. So after a while, my husband, um, his, his contract came to an end, and he said, you know what, I'm not going to look for another job, I'm going to join uh, you, and we're going to grow this thing together. I said, cool, fine. So he had his own ideas now. And he's, he's very forceful, you know. And we started changing the model of the business. So that's when we started selling alcohol. And, you know, we used to have parties and all those things. And he used to do that, that bit because that's just not my space. And eventually we started noticing that we were losing a certain type of customer and gaining a new, a different one altogether. And I, was, I wasn't very comfortable with that. I was actually very uncomfortable because it, this is not what I'd, I had envisioned from the onset. So we started having these clashes um, until we said, look, okay, he finally got it. And he said, okay, what we're going to do is, and at that time, COVID had just begun um, and the hospitality industry was quite affected. So at that time, we said, okay, look, we're going to shut it down. We shut Rhodes back down. And it was shut for like a year. And that is the time when we opened Kabalonga, uh, the Kabalonga coffee shop, which took us right back to the original vision of what Meraki was, cake and coffee shop. So one of the reasons we shut Rhodes Park is to break that... Um, idea that you know that that thing that that became meraki because it all started from there and we started refurbishing and bringing back the old vision which is what the original idea was so when we reopened we we reopened as who we intend to be long term and that's what we've replicated at east park as well so i found it very it became stressful because we think differently. Um, his, his strengths are in operations and my strengths are elsewhere. We kept on clashing. It just wasn't making sense. 
So what we did then is we opened another uh, business under Meraki, uh, which is where we produce all these packaged foods and it operates from a factory on Malambo Road. So that's what he focuses on. And I focus on, on the cakes and on the cafes. How do you guys, you know, manage to like, because it's like you differed and then you found a solution. Mm. For other couples, is they differ and they just differ and affect the marriage and this, then that. It does affect it. Ma- yes, it does affect the marriage. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know it does. But w- w- what I'm saying is looking at where you are now, mm-hmm. you differed and you sorted it out and it's, it's smooth sailing. You get the point, right? Yeah. What my question is, is how do you avoid it? becoming now where you're, you're, you're pulling these directions and, and it just doesn't stop. Because mostly when there's conflict, people fail to amicably resolve it. And mm. say, okay, we do this, we do that. Okay, oh, it's fine. Okay, oh, I agree. Okay, no, you have a point, you have a point, and we move forward. Others, it's yes, you talk about it tomorrow again, but we agreed, but, but you said you do this business. But, but And that now is just conflict in everything. Mm. Anytime you want to discuss business, it's like a source of conflict. And so yeah. you avoid those conversations altogether. Just talk about family or the children or what or my family <laughs> and you never discuss business yeah. because some people are mm. like that in marriages where mm. because money is involved you get a point right so yeah. money is like even the bible says that money is the root of all mm. evil and even mm. most marriages end up in divorce because people can't agree on money or mm. money finances and whatnot and that's why i asked how did you amicably resolve it because miracle is still there i one time i got lost <laughs> i found myself on the same malambo road you're talking about are and you I was serious like, yeah, no, yeah so i was going to, <laughs> we're recording the podcast with monica musonda right so she told me no come to my office yeah. i had been to her office in the industrial area mm-hmm. but then we got lost so i called someone and told me no oh ah, she's right opposite she's us. right opposite miracle in the no, they told me she's on Malambo Road. Yes. So when I went there, someone said, oh, inside here. So when I entered, I saw Miraki. I was like, Miraki here. But anyway, that was, my mind was on Java food and whatnot. So, because Java food is just right opposite, right? Yeah. I said, no, she's not here. That's how I found about, about that Miraki. And it looks like mm. it's doing very well. So now I want to know, how do you resolve business-related conflict? Okay. So I think the, the only way you can resolve it is with the right communication. The thing that broke this um, uh, this issue between me and my husband of who does this and who does that and how I, I don't like how you do this and I don't like how you do that is we had to have kind of like a board meeting between us. Shut the doors. We're not seeing anyone. We're going to resolve this. And um, we sat down to look at the big picture. This is what this business covers right now. And this is what we want to grow to in the next two, three, and five years. Now, my strengths are these, and yours are here. There's so many parts of the business where I can use my strengths, and you can use yours, and we're both going to win, you know? And the business is going to win, but we have to be strict about who does what. And when we do that, it's strictly you stay in your lane and I stay in mine. If I'm going to advise, it's, it's going to be from an advisory level. So the businesses are, sli- are split. They run at, as two different entities, but under the Meraki brand. So if I go to the factory, for instance, and I see something that is not working too good, I advise, but I'm not going to enforce my ideas. I will advise based on what we've agreed is the vision for that business, okay? And he will do the same. So it, it had to 
take a lot of practicality and boundaries. And it's working for us for now. Okay. Yeah. And your, your husband is prayerful. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one time we had a breakfast for champions um, and I was there with uh, Sunny from Stanchard. Ah. And so he's telling us, no, we have to break this, this, this thing. We used to do alcohol, but now the spirit led us into, you know, that, that, that. How do you guys still keep God in the business? Like, how do you still keep that in the business without... Because sometimes when you reach a certain level of success, people then like, ah, okay, now we're on our own, you know. Hmm. How do you keep God in the business? I don't think I'd, I'd have come anywhere near where we've come without God. So, and I know even what we want to do in the future, I cannot do it without him. So, for me, he's front and center of everything I do. Um, and the staff know that. So, I, I deliberately also make space for them to see that this is who I am. And that flows into what we do, every decision we make, especially at the management team, management uh, level, they know. And whenever, for instance, I have something at church, um, I will do it. It will be fixed in my program. They know that. And I will probably sit with them, share it with them. It's just a part of who we are. I think our faith is a huge part of who we are. And without it, I think um, it's like not having a, a part of you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we're very, both of us very deliberate about growing in God. Both he and I are students of um, Rema Bible Training College. Yeah, even the Nigerian guy was telling about us in Rema. You know, oh, him, actually. You know what's his name? Yes, I know. Yes, Ade. Ade yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm in second year because I started before him. He's in first year, and um, we also try to help a lot of people in the church to to do what we have been able to do: um, hold their hand, um, teach them what we know so that they can continue growing because we need that. We need that, um, you know, we shouldn't just be known for being Christians, um, but we should also impact, you know, and help the next generation to be impactful also in their spaces. So that's that's something that we're actively working on with um, younger people. All right. Human beings are, 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 are difficult to manage. It's yeah. one thing for you to have your vision of the business. This is the direction we're going. Then you hire John, and John is pulling in the other direction. Yeah. How do you align people to fit into what you want to achieve in the business? How do you manage people? How do you manage a difficult employee? How do you get them to come around? Mm. I know that big organizations have got all these training, what, what, consistent, yeah. what, what, what. But it, it may not be the same for a, a smaller business. How do you manage people? Because you, you can just say, you know what, it's over today. But the company is <laughs> not, there's a union, there's what, there's yeah. that. No. How do you make people align? And have you ever experienced an employee in the beginning who you almost gave up on and said, you know what, I think you're going. But with time, you managed to get them in line. So we have a team of over 100 people. 
it's very difficult. I think one of the easiest ways that we have found is to be very clear from the onset about what their job description is. Whenever we, we hire, we give them their job descriptions, what they're supposed to do. There's performance reviews that are connected to what they are hired to do. And that just keeps everybody aligned to a certain extent. And then also their company rules and procedures, which help to guide. Those are a must because you can't, you can't just tell someone uh, tomorrow you're gone because you did this, but is it worth sending someone home for? You have to be guided by something. And those are some of the things that you need to set in place so that you are protected and the staff also feels protected because they can't be working in fear that if I do this, I'll lose my job and I'll be sent home immediately. You know, so as much as we're there to do business, we're also there to, to help each other grow. So that sometimes means mentoring someone for a short space of time, um, knowing your staff and uh, talking to them. It does wonders. You know, sometimes people go through a really bad space. Life happens. There's so many life issues that we go through. And sometimes that may affect someone for a short period or a season. It could be sickness or it could be that they're going through difficult situations with, uh, with their family at home. So knowing your staff, talking to them, uh, I find that talking to our management teams often about this so that they can replicate it with their teams is also very helpful because then everybody feels cared for. They feel that they're valued while they're at work. It's very rare in our organizations that, in our organization, Meraki, that people are just leaving because they're frustrated, no. Um, or because they're failing to work, because we're on their case, we're watching them. How did you not do this? Can I see um, what your performance review for the last three months look, looks like? And we're able to talk about all these things in real time. So before someone becomes a problem employee, you, you know where it's going and you catch it before it gets bad. I mean, dealing with people is difficult, but Relationships play a huge role. Uh, being connected with them plays a big role. And they, if you're a good leader, they come to a position where they don't want to disappoint you, you know. Um, they want to actually impress. And that's, that's the best space to be. And you can only get there if you're <laughs> what they call a level five leader. I'm really far away from that, but I'm aspiring for it because then people are so impacted by you and they don't want to be disconnected from you and they don't want to disappoint you. They naturally start doing their best. Um, so it, it, it's, it, it takes so many, there's so many aspects to leadership, but with staff I find that being clear about roles, um, performance reviews, rules and procedures, mentorship and guiding and the training as well. You, you can't go wrong. Okay, so what you've mentioned um, gets you a good employee, but how do you make your staff happy? Because um, 
I've interacted with your staff a number of times. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Elizabeth at um, East Park. I didn't see her the last time I was there. Yeah. Then there's a huge guy who was like a blonde guy is now at East Park. Mm-hmm. Um, a few guys, um, Abraham, I think, at, um, at Rhodes Park. Rhodes Park. And these are guys that are happy and they're always, you know, because even if you have issues, it's the patience, it's the what, it's they, you can tell these guys enjoy the job. Mm. And that is something that goes beyond just, oh, we get paid on time, we get paid, the money comes. How do I make someone happy? Because I can have a good employee who knows their job, but they're not happy. I can do a job very well, but I'm not happy. I can balance the books, but I'm not happy. Yeah. The happiness reflects and you can tell that, okay, this is forced, this is coming natural. Mm-hmm. How do I make them happy? Not how do I get a good employee, but how do I make someone happy? Because, mm. you know, I say if you're happy, you do things willingly. You know, yeah. you, you, it's, it's, it comes natural. There's no, no, today is quick. I, I won't. Because I'm happy, it shows. And yeah. given that you're in the service business, for me to see this, I'm sure I'm not the first person telling you that, it means that the customer then is happy. Yes. Because the disgruntled employee mm. is going to rub off on the customer. Yeah. How do you get your staff happy? Okay. So I, d- I don't think it's really the employer's role to make staff happy. You know, that's a personal decision. <laughs> but if I were a bad boss, no matter if... You know, I think well, I can wake okay. up happy, but then my mood... You know what? I, I wake up happy, right? I'm on my way to work. The closer I'm getting, I'm becoming sad. <laughs> the By the time I'm actually arriving... <laughs> <laughs> I'm upset, you know. I can't point out what made me sad, but it's just going to... I, I feel like sometimes also it's, it's a job environment. There are some people... Um, the last time I think I, I was speaking to, to Patricia Luhanga. I don't know if you know her, Patricia. Yeah. And she told me uh, that there were times when she would wake up crying and her maid mm. would come to her and tell her, boss, no, it's fine. It's going to be okay. Just go for work today. Just go. Just go. That is, I want to be happy, but I know where I'm going. I know what I'm going to find. Right. Today is Tuesday, but boss, but mm. and that then, all oh, the employees said they know their job, but because of the environment where they're operating, the happy it's hard. Sometimes you have to force happiness, but yeah. you can see that okay, these guys are not happy, okay. or they're just acting nice customer service because all oh, the boss is there. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So for us, we we've, we've made it um, a policy that because we spend most of our hours the hours in the day at work uh, with our workmates we want to make it a happy place you know so you walk in it's it's a family you know that's the that's that's just the sort of environment we want to operate in when I walk into the office I'm happy and everybody is happy with me and we talk about these things all the time even in our management meetings this place is not a place to come and be frustrated. When you come here, someone is going to make you laugh. You know, someone is going to make you happy. Someone is going to minister to you even if you look like you're not happy. And I don't like being in a gloomy place. So maybe, maybe it starts from the leadership. I, I can't really tell. But that, that is just our policy. Come to work. We're happy. Music is playing. Guys, what are we doing? We, I have to say we're very lucky because we have a bunch of happy people on our teams and that really helps, you know. I think one of the things that makes for a happy environment, if I can talk about that, is being very clear about whose role um, is, is A and B and C and being clear that they have to do A and B and C for the business because the business needs to survive 
the moment you start diverging from, oh, now I'm adding on this and that and that, and you don't explain why, or they don't get why they have to do what they're doing, and then start, you know, f um, pushing all sorts of negative um, um, words and actions and demeanors onto them, that creates negativity and it spills over into the business in how they do their work. They'll make a, a horrible cake and then you get a horrible review. But where is that coming from? It points back at you as, um, as the leaders. So, yeah, we've deliberately said, if you come here, this is your happy space. Do your thing. Express yourself. But you have to get your job done. If we change... Um, you know, um, how can I put it? If we change what you're supposed to be doing and then we start um, changing goalposts, for instance, I, you're hired for this and then suddenly you're doing something else and that makes you unhappy. We can't do that without talking about it and talking about what that is going to mean and how it will change everything. And also, we avoid being negative you know, pushing down negativity all the time without actually showing them what they need to be done and how to do it. So we get into the space as well so that they feel that they belong and we're also doing something and the boss is not just seated in the office all day and then we have to slave away like this. So join in, you know, go in there dance with them they like dancing <laughs> it's it's i i don't know the the dancing really does you know it helps a lot but just deliberately creating a happy space is is very important i've got two more questions um number one um in the beginning when you're picking out the cards you mentioned mm -hmm. um the role that a mentor played um in you getting to where you are and miraki being where it is today how would you advise a mentor-mentee relationship to look like? Um, what, how was yours like? And how do other people also go about identifying a mentor and making that relationship work? Okay. I think firstly, it should be driven by the mentee. The mentee should put their hand up and say they need help. Otherwise, it won't work. If I go to someone and said, I'm going to mentor you, and they're not ready or they're not willing, their heart won't be in it. And it has to be a process where, you know, we have all the answers inside ourselves. So a mentor is not there to tell you what to do. They're there to guide you because you're a unique individual. I can't tell you do this, Sui, because you have your own unique way of doing things and you're unique, you're different from me. So I'm there to guide you and to open your mind to see things differently, see them bigger, see them longer in, ter in terms of vision. And when you struggle, you can call me and I can guide you. So part of the work of a mentee or a, a, a mentor also, which I found worked wonders with me, is to help you get into habits that guarantee success. And that means you go over a long term and they're holding you accountable, holding your hand and helping you get into these habits um, 
until they stick in you and you become that person who can then grow a business to, to certain levels. So that's pretty much how I, well, when I'm mentoring groups, that's how I do it because that's how I learned to do it and how I, th how I feel is most successful is that the mentee should ask for the help themselves and then they should be committed and they should get someone whose value system is very similar to theirs in the area that they want to develop. So, for instance, if I want to grow in a certain area of business or I want to do my marriage differently, I'm going to see two different people. If, if one person has both of those attributes that I'm looking for in the mentor, then yes. But sometimes you may need to get two, three, even four mentors for different things. And we need mentors. We need people to help us grow. It's very difficult to plan things by yourself and think that you're going to achieve that. What a mentor does is they stretch you and they pull you. And it hurts sometimes. It takes a lot of hard work because you, you can't grow without stretching. But it's, it is very key. Even in the Bible, is there. Every, there were so many people that were mentored by other people and they grew to um, levels of success that they wouldn't have envisaged or they wouldn't have managed to do on their own. So for me, that's what it looks like. Okay. What's your favorite scripture in the Bible? <sighs> There's so many. Oh, there's so many. I know the plans I have for you. Jeremiah 29, 11. He's speaking to me a lot these days. Interesting. My last question, what would be the five things you would advise young people who want to thrive in business like you have? Number one, have a vision. It may be difficult in the beginning because everything is neither here nor there. But envision something that you would love to achieve before you leave this planet. Put it on paper and then create some sort of plan, a framework to get that done over a number of years. Two, take time, be patient. Um, there's a lot of people who want to be successful very quickly, but it takes time. It takes time because you need to make mistakes along the way. You need to improve along the way. You need to change along the way as a person. Um, you need to grow. And that doesn't happen overnight. Um, yeah, so be patient. Three, grow yourself. The business can only go as far as the type of leader that you are. You become the limit to your business, the bottleneck to your business. So if you continually develop yourself, grow as a person, read, um, get mentors, attend all manner of workshops online, wherever, look for trends, what is new, you're growing. Because then you, you're able then to take the business to, to levels that 
your old self would never have been able to. Four, create systems from the onset for everything. Systemize as much as possible. Document processes as much as possible so that everybody is clear. And if you can hand over a process to a system, then people don't have to do it. They just follow what is laid down. You can extract yourself. The system manages the teams because there are processes and procedures and anybody who goes out of line abrogates the system and you immediately know if you can automate processes even better. That is expensive. But with time, you can, you can, you can afford to, to put in place some sort of automation so that you have standard pro, um, processes that produce standardized uh, products, and then you have consistency, um, less manpower sometimes, less human error. And five, enjoy the process. I think um, being in business is for the long term. So you need to enjoy what you're doing. So ideally, you want to do something that you're very passionate about, something that you enjoy. For me, going to work is, I don't feel like I'm going to work. I feel like I'm going to, to be who I am, <laughs> if I can put it that way. It feels like I'm at home, um, my second home, actually. So doing something you enjoy, you have a higher chance of producing extraordinary things, being more innovative, being more creative, um, because that is your space and that's where your gifting is. So you need to be in a business that you enjoy. Thank you very much, Mrs. Wawa. For your time, uh, we've learned a lot from you. And I feel like the next time someone walks into Miraki, you can see the story. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like you can see the story you mm. know, from where it is to what it has become today. Um, so any plans to have new Miraki's? Because I know Rhodes Park, Kabulonga, <laughs> East Park, we'll see a new one raised. <laughs> I won't yeah. say anything. Yeah, no, we're very hopeful. We're very hopeful, yeah. So that was a conversation uh, with Mrs. Chombawa, uh, the proprietor for Miraki. Um, yeah, so East Park, it's there, right there. Opposite multi choice, right? Yeah, like right there. Old yeah. Bombay Lounge. Next to Bombay Lounge. You opposite know, John Dory's. Okay, yes, opposite John Dory is opposite, even that, what do you call that, uh, Rocco Mamas, yeah. yeah, at East Park. Um, and then uh, Chahodi Road, I think, is the most famous one, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, in Rhodes Park, and Kablonga also uh, should not be difficult um, to find. Thank you very much for making the time. We're back next week with another exciting edition of the Growth Podcast. Please remember to subscribe and also tell a friend, tag a friend that you know has a journey in business that is similar to hers because the insights in here can really take one a long way. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.